My next guest is a partner at a law firm, practices complex commercial litigation, and was recently appointed Master of Inn of Court and elected to the Lynn Inn Executive Committee. Please welcome Kumar Vinokota. Kumar, how's it going? Good, RJ. How are you doing? Hey, doing okay. Doing all right, man. Hey, just want to thank you for coming on to the podcast. Appreciate it. No worries. This is going to be fun, I think. All right. Yeah, it will be. All right. So let's jump right into it. What do you do? What do I do? <laughs> Common sense, I'm a problem solver, but professionally, <laughs> I am a attorney in Dallas, Texas, specifically specialized in commercial litigation and intellectual property litigation. I guess for some of your listeners that don't know what intellectual property is, it's commonly what we think of as copyrights, trade secrets, patents, trade dresses, and trademarks. And so it's essentially the area of property law on innovation and ideas and all the litigation and the, I guess, the development of that legally and technically what I do. Okay. So for your clients, you're protecting their intellectual property. And I'm guessing these are a wide array of clients, right? All over the board? Yeah. It's all over the board, all over the world, all over the sizes. Um, mm. My firm is what we call a boutique law firm. So there's less than 10 lawyers on my staff. And so it actually allows us to be a little bit more flexible in the type of clientele we take, subject to conflicts, which is one of the big things that attorneys worry about. You can't represent one client on one matter and then be adverse to them in the second matter. Typically, mm. we can't do that. But there are certain industry areas, at least my firm chooses to maintain certain conflicts. So there's a certain type of clientele in that industry, whether what size they may be allows us to kind of do that representation versus other industries. And so strategically, just over the course of the years that law partners and I have been practicing, we've sort of gotten a niche in certain industries where we represent Fortune 50 companies. And in other industries, we'd rather represent the innovators, uh, what I call the mom and pop shop entrepreneurs, to basically come in and we sort of help with their startup ideas and also their innovation. Okay. With that, I guess you're doing a lot of analysis. You're doing a lot of advising for your clients and preparing documents. Can you talk a little bit about what it all entails to help these clients out and protect their intellectual property? Well, it, it really depends on the entire kind of level of things. Okay. Mm. So... One of the biggest things that people always seem to forget about intellectual property is what it really is. And so I'll probably give you a quick primer of that. Yeah. Intellectual property is what typically is the right to exclude competitors from copying what you innovated. In whatever medium that is, a copyright is something like, let's say, use a song, and all the way up to a patent, which could be you know, the, the world's greatest new wheel. And all the intellectual property associated with that just prevents the exclusion of others from using it. So that's easy. That's what people think of. Right. But where people always make a mistake is they think by because I have a patent, that also grants me the ability to use my own innovation. And that's incorrect way of thinking. Okay. The actual use of your own innovation is governed by commercial law, contracts, non-disclosure agreements, employment agreements, anywhere from if you're going to do a startup, shareholder agreements, membership agreements, if you're going to use a university to help develop 
your IP, it's going to be a university agreement. And those contracts with third parties or with other related entities is what allows you to now develop and monetize your idea. Okay, that's usually why people do this, so you can use your innovation. The traditional forms of a patent, a copyright, or a trademark actually prevent the exclusion of other parties from using your innovation. And so when I get clients that come in, they, they conflate the two. They think if I have a patent, I can use my patent and I can exclude others. It's like, no, because then what they forget to do is they don't have really strong contracts with, let's say, their business partner and the business partner goes crossways with them. And that business partner then takes half that idea with them. And there's nothing to prevent that business partner from starting a new competitive business. Because again, we're talking about use here, not exclusion, at least with respect to that party at that time. Mm. Um, hopefully that makes a little sense. There. Yeah, it does. Okay, wow. Now, what about on the flip side? Are you also helping your clients when you have, I guess, IP bullies? Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. IP bullies is a funny word. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, I'm a hired gun. I'm a hired gun. I'm a specialist in this. So depending upon which client I'm representing, you can either represent the startups that are trying to do the innovation or the companies that are trying to build their IP portfolio, or what the term technically is called, you can represent the accused infringers, whether from a competitor or what there's also the, the, the fancy term is called a non-practicing entity, an NPE, which is basically a licensing entity that's just trying to extort licensing fees. Unfortunately, they, they get a bad connotation. They're called trolls, but that's... <laughs> kind of buyer beware because universities also are NPEs and actually extract licensing fees from companies. And so are they considered a troll? I mean, you and I could have a philosophical debate about that. It's just perception. And that's why there's a bad connotation toward it. And that's really driven by certain industries right now that are trying to weaken the patent system, in my opinion, or the IP system for their own, for their own benefit. Okay. All right. So I know your clients are all over the board and you mentioned, you know, working with copyrights and trade secrets and patents. Are you normally working with one more than the other in that sense, the copyrights, trade secrets or, or patents? It depends holistically, right? When I get a client that's looking to develop their intellectual property, there's no checklist of what they need. It's usually what their business plans are dictating what the innovation is for. Okay. Mm. And sometimes the right development is you don't need a patent. You need to keep it as a trade secret. So these are like the software companies. You don't want your algorithms published in the public domain in a patent. It says you got to keep trade secret protection. But trade secret protection is the opposite of a patent. You want less disclosure, right? You want, you want maximum protections of who has access to your source code. Now, compare and contrast that with someone like you, right? Which, you know, you have a podcast. And in, you know, in a podcast scenario, you're more worried about copyright because this is being recorded potentially and it's going to be published. You're right. not so necessarily worried about innovation in the sense of a patent or a trade secret. You're more worried about someone rebroadcasting your podcast and taking credit for that. And so that's more of a copyright. So it's very simple for us when we sort of hear the client speaking, okay, this is the, probably the field of the IP world you're going to have to fall under. Now let's work with your business plan to see whether or not that's going to be the proper vehicle for it and how we're going to help develop it. And what the ultimate goal of having it is, is it, again, just a, you just want to exclude people or do you want to somehow use that to monetize? If you're going to use it to monetize, get the copyright, get the patent, but also let's make sure that you have the third party agreements in place to make sure that you actually use it properly. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, can you talk about a typical day of yours, how that looks like? <laughs> um, 
pre or post COVID? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, a typical day for me, it's funny. It's usually early in the morning, my my phone starts blowing up with emails from clients the night before. And you have to go through all the emails. You know, one of at least our generation of attorneys, we communicate uh, by email a lot more than telephone. Um, And so, you know, we have a host of people that we always have to communicate with, whether it's opposing parties, whether it's opposing counsel, whether it's our clients. And so... My typical day starts off with that, and I usually already have a fair sense of what, like, all the tasks I need to get, because in litigation, there's a lot of already structured deadlines that are set, but because I also am one of the, you know, named partners of my firm, I also have to have my daily kind of staff meetings, so just to make sure my other attorneys and staff and my interns are all kind of, like, squared away for the day. It's a little bit more difficult with COVID because we are all working remotely, so I have to sort of check in on everyone if they have any questions the projects they're working on. Uh, so that is that line of communication is open throughout the day because if anyone has questions, you know, my phone's blowing up anyway. And then it's just a matter of, okay, what are my priorities? A lot of time it's hand-holding the clients, having client calls, explaining what the next situation is, working on the actual legal matters we have to do. We'll have sometimes court hearings we have to handle, whether it's now telephonically or through Zoom. And there's also marketing, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're still a business. I'm a service industry. And so part of my day also uh, entails almost every day, a new client call comes in. They, they call our office. Uh, they want an interview or they want a, an appointment for a new potential matter. And so that will last up to, and you know me, that, that'll, that'll be lasting all the way up to like 10 p.m. sometimes <laughs> for all night. So uh, yeah, the typical day is we're working all day mostly. So. Oh, and weekends also? Uh, yeah, actually, I get most of my work done on weekends. The phone's not blowing up, and so it allows me to actually yeah. focus on I'm trying to do. But I think that's with any any industry. I know doctors have that. You have that, I know. Yeah. So it's just thumbs. The, the day-to-day phone calls and the emails of, I guess, you know, I used to be an engineer. So the, when you're in the project management or the project lead, uh, kind of mode your actual part of the task might be put on the sideline because you're trying to lead the, the team down the line and then you then have to sort of hold side at that point. Okay. Now, based on some of the things that you've said and just what I think of IP lawyers, I think that communication skills, technical skills, your legal or litigation skills are important skill sets for use. But what skill sets and characteristics would you say are important to be successful in your field? The number one well, there's three, actually. Number one, at least in a litigation context, is to know the schedule, okay? Mm. Deadlines. Mm. Because once you know the deadlines, then effective time management allows you to prepare for those deadlines ahead of time. Because part of our skill set is not just getting the work filed with the court or go to the hearing. It's managing the team around you, whether it's your paralegals, your staff, other lawyers, to get their pieces together at the same time. And the most effective, either young lawyer or senior lawyer, is the one that can actually put it all together without what we call the fire drill. Okay? And where we're doing a midnight filing and things are missing and it's all sloppy. And so that, but that's effectively mitigated if you know the deadlines. And so therefore you can put the team together. And so the corollary to that then is if I know the deadlines, then I better also know the facts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the legal context, the law is the law, okay? 
But yet, why are there so many legal disputes? It's because the facts, when applied to the law, determine whether or not the ultimate outcome of that situation. And so as an advocate, our job is to not make up facts, but to put our clients' facts in the most favorable light with respect to the law. And the side that actually fully appreciates both sides' facts and they can actually distinguish why your facts are greater than the other side's facts based on precedent and case law typically wins. So, again, I tell this to young lawyers all the time is know the facts better than anyone else, even your own partner. Because then that goes to the third point, which is when you have a command of the deadlines, you have a command of the facts, you then become the trusted person that gets more responsibility and that advances your career as an attorney automatically. Mm-hmm. You're the go-to person of, hey, you know, RJ knows these deadlines because he's never missed one. And RJ always seems to, whenever I ask what the date of such and such thing happened, he literally knows everything about the case. Hey, RJ, why don't you go ahead and take that deposition, even though you still need some more experience, but I think you're ready for it. And you can see how then you, all of a sudden you become the trusted person. And in, right. that, and in that role, then you get, you, you, you develop the last skill set, which is attention to detail. Okay. And that is what will then help you become a partner in a law firm at that point. Nice. Okay, so it makes sense. So knowing your deadlines, being dependable, knowing your facts, and then, of course, yeah, especially in your line of business, attention to detail. Yeah, that's what's in any industry. It's not saying – I don't know whether I can use these words or get the edit out, but, you know, you don't need to kiss to basically do well, right? Right. Uh, you can do this on the merits, but you have to be that de- – Not and I even more than dependable – but that reliable, I think the, that's, right. the, that's the word yeah. I would use instead. It's that reliable person that that can handle that time management. And the more responsibility you get, especially in our field, the quicker you can get the more responsibility, the faster you're training yourself up. Because the practice of law is like Swiss cheese. You start off with all these holes. And each case is different. Each case is at a different stage or whatever. And so the issue really becomes of how fast you're closing up those holes in the cheese. And the faster you can do that in your career, the more opportunities you have as a partner or you can start your own firm, you can go in-house. I mean, you just have a lot more doors open at that point. Got it. Okay. All right. Now, as far as opening those doors, you're a partner now. You're in a boutique law firm, successful partner. You mentioned you're an engineer uh, undergrad, and that seems like that's a typical route for an IP lawyer. Can you... Talk about kind of the steps that you took to get to where you are. <laughs> um, I made it a point of not being a typical IP lawyer. So <laughs> when I was in engineering, you know, I, I was in Houston. I worked for Exxon. That's chemical engineer down there in Baytown. I actually didn't want to do technical anymore. I actually enjoyed. So for the record, you and I went to high school together. So I could think I could say that. But if you recall mm-hmm. the teen corp program we had in high school with our government class, I was one of the lawyers in that teen corps program our junior and senior year in high school, and I really got a kick out of doing those legal things, even mm. though it was like in JP court, Judge Yeoman, if you remember him on, on uh, Clay Road and uh, Highway mm-hmm. 6, hit JP yep. court there. Anyway, so, but it was fun for two years, you know, it was, I, I guess I was a pretend lawyer, and I really enjoyed that, and it had nothing to do with technical or anything. It's just, it was fun to be thinking on your feet when you're the shy kid, it was good to kind of like you know, have a podium kind of got you out of your shell because you had to sort of like publicly speak and stuff like that. And I enjoyed right. that. But, you know, I, I did the typical engineering route and I didn't really like it. I, I like, I didn't mind the technical stuff. I just didn't see this going to be the long-term thing if I applied to, to law school with the goal of just being a trial lawyer. 
so I went to law school. Um, so I can say this. I went to A&M undergrad. I'm like you that went to UT, but I did go to your school for law school. So <laughs> I'm in cheek there. I'm still an Aggie. Um, anyway, anyway, your listeners will, will get a kick out of that. But yeah. <laughs> after law school, the first job I had, actually, everyone was trying to position me in law school to go the IP route. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to do technical. I wanted to try cases. I wanted to be a commercial litigator. I wanted to, like, I didn't care what the area of law was. I just wanted to be in front of a jury. And so my first job in Dallas was a commercial litigation shop. And so my first couple mm-hmm. of years, I just learned to try cases. I didn't even touch any intellectual property until after I switched law firms uh, my third or fourth year around that time. And I went into a pretty prominent intellectual property boutique law firm. And that's the first time I actually was exposed to that area of law. And then subsequent to that, then I started realizing, you know what? I do have this technical background. There is some use to it. I can still be a trial lawyer. And I can also leverage you know, my chemical engineering degree to a certain extent. And Without me trying to be an IP lawyer, I finally figured out that, yes, I can use both of the best worlds. I can still be a trial lawyer, but use those areas of engineering I still enjoy, which is always learning about new technology. And so that's how I ended up, I don't even know how many years I've been doing this now, but you know, I've become a specialist in doing that. And so every one of my technical cases, the first couple weeks, I'm literally learning a new technology. And that's what kept it fresh, I guess, right? Yeah. Um, I'm not stuck doing the same type of mechanical or chemical thing over and over. It's a brand new area of technology. It's innovative. And my technical mind gets excited about that because it's new. And then my legal mind is still there because now I get to apply it in the courtroom. And so that's how I ended up where I am now. Wow. Now, that's interesting. So, So first of all, you're seeing all these new technologies, I guess, firsthand. Are you able to talk about some of the kind of cool technologies that you've seen? Yeah. 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 One of the biggest areas right now is in artificial intelligence and in supercomputing. Um, After this finished a big trial in DC on the ability to do massive supercomputing calculations, which is like the big area of data analytics and data processing right now, Mm -hmm. the cutting edge technology to basically eliminate the microprocessor and just do it all in memory. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's neat stuff that's being done. A lot of it obviously starts off in Department of Defense kind of applications, because that's usually where a lot of these cutting edge technologies come out of. And, you know, the other type of area of technology that we, we see a lot lately in, in, you know, believe it or not, is in consumer electronics, right? I mean, I pretty much know where things are going generally, because you see these patents. But just think about this. I mean, just 10, 12 years ago, when we didn't have smartphones, right? Mm-hmm. And how fast now they not only dominate almost every form of communication, but the things we can do with a smartphone, okay? And so there are things like that that are in the work that in the next 10 years of our lifetime, we're just going to see completely different from just, you know, how we communicate with one another, how we're going to do like uh, visualizations and holographic. 3D stuff. It's just all in the works right now that, you know, it's going to look like a sci-fi movie very quickly, in, in my opinion. Wow. Wow. All right. So now, uh, think about that a little bit. So it, it's interesting. You said that you didn't like the technical part at first, and then you've come to embrace it, I guess I could say, and use both sides of what you do to become a successful lawyer and partner. But what do you love about what you do? <laughs> You know, 
I think for me, it's it's it, it's kind of frustrating sometimes. But I think at the end of the day, I'm a glutton for it. I enjoy solving problems, and that's what I get paid for. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, don't get me wrong; it takes a toll because at the end of the day, there's a lot of problems I'm solving. But there is some satisfaction of when we finish up a case and the client's happy. You know, some of the best messages I get from clients or text messages like 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. or something like that saying, hey, thanks for doing what you're doing. I'm allowed to do X, Y, Z with my company and I'm not worried about it. So I've effectively taken that burden away from the client uh, on the legal aspect so that they could concentrate on what they're good at, which is the operations of the company that they represent, right? Or, or their CEO. Right. Um, and to get something like that at like 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. and I get a lot of that I think that gives me that satisfaction. Well, you know what? That's, I built a brand around that. I built a, a law firm that that's what we're designing to do is you know, we have a motto. I have a trademark motto. It's called innovate, protect, succeed. And that's literally it. It's let my clients innovate. Let me do the protections and all of us can succeed together. Just, you know, we have a trademark and go to my website. That's what it is. And so, and that's essentially it. It's the work of the team. And I think for me, I think that's what I love the most. It's like it's, it's still the ability to work as a team with my client. And, you know, I have multiple teams. I have multiple clients. And it keeps my ADD in check a little bit because I get to like bounce around. But the net effect is still the same of what I'm trying to do is for their best interests to make sure that they are succeeding in whatever endeavor they want. Because innovation is kind of cool stuff, right? Right. It takes a lot for someone to do a business, let alone from scratch, but let alone not only from scratch, but from an idea that no one else thought of. And I've seen them come into my office to now they're very successful companies and I got to be a part of helping them build that. It's kind of a cool feeling. Mm. Now with this technological innovation, you are protecting it, I guess, especially on the tech side. One challenge I see is some countries that don't really care for the protection laws. Is that a challenge to you? And what challenges do you see out there for your line of business? A lot. I mean, I do a lot of international work. China and India are the worst, just so you know. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, but there's some sweet irony that's happening because with globalization, well, all the countries that you would say would be problematic with technologies on a global sense and protection and other countries are actually changing their tune because once more people get successful in these countries, there's a reason why we have IP laws in general. We've had IP laws for hundreds of years. It's because innovation builds on top of each other. And if you don't reward that baseline innovation, there's no incentive to derive new innovation out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. If everyone is cheating, you're going to race to the bottom and no one's going to do anything at that point because there's no incentive. But if you start having the actual IP laws kick in and those rights to exclude can kick in so you can build your kind of king of the hill moment for for lack of better terms well once that ip then expires it allows people to design around it because they get motivated at that point and so there's a motivation factor and it's it's why even in, in the american system you know jefferson is the one that actually created the ip laws it's in our constitution people don't even realize that letters of patent it's one of the enumerated demands that congress had to do and in general, most of congressional acts are based on various clauses, power of the purse, power of commerce, but then left it to all the subsequent Congresses to determine what that is. 
they actually have in our constitution a line that says Congress shall create a patent office. Okay. But why is that? It's because even our founding fathers, with all their flaws, realized that America was only going to be successful if there was an innovation scheme to build on those innovations for the later generations. And so it's one of the enumerated edicts for Congress to actually create a patent system. Okay. And so, like, basically, intellectual property regime. And so that should tell you exactly why other countries now are starting to follow suit because once their middle class gets bigger, once they have more opportunity, everyone, the human mind, no matter, I don't care whether you're in America or, or you're halfway around the world, the human mind is, is still the human mind and everyone's going to want to innovate. Right. And so everyone is sort of catching up a little bit and even China and India to a certain extent are kind of revamping their own IP laws to protect because they have now own homegrown innovation themselves. It wasn't just outsourced or they're not just quote unquote stealing it. They have their own stuff. It's actually kind of funny that some of my clients will file patents in those countries, but they feel more comfortable now that they might get some protection there. Wow. Okay. That's interesting. All right. With that, can you talk about one of your most memorable moments? Most memorable moments when A&M would always beat UT Longhorn. Uh, but, I guess you know. didn't have many of those moments. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the 2005 Rose Bowl. Um, oh. uh, no, let me, my most memorable moment, I think, you know, that's kind of funny. They all kind of like all blood together. I, I'll tell you when it was. I had a trial in D.C. in 2015, and as I was walking out of that trial, I was so burnt out because I saw what was happening. I was at a different firm. I was a partner at a different firm at that time. Mm-hmm. But I was burnt out of the case. The case was two and a half year long battle. And it just sort of dawned on me that, you know what? There's got to be a better way of helping innovators than going through what I just had to go through for this client because of certain decisions that were made when he was still in a startup phase. Okay, And it was that moment where I said, I'm basically a surgeon. And if I could just grab some of these folks early enough and do the preventative medicine Surgery would be a lot more cleaner later in life for them. That makes mm. any sense. Yeah. And so that was it. And 20 it was uh, July 2015. It was July 4th weekend, actually. So I was in D.C. I made a decision. I was like, I need to start my own firm. I got to find like-minded people. So by, by September of that year, I launched my own firm at that point. I at least beta launched it, right, if that makes any sense. The actual kickoff was until 2016. But, yeah, I mean, I, I quit. I sort of started my own gig and I wanted to really do this type of preventative medicine and this risk mitigation and a more holistic approach. And so that's a memorable moment. Yeah. I, that, that's when I launched the firm essentially in my head. That's awesome. Well, that's great. That's awesome. You were passionate about something and you took the steps and, and used both your experience, your skill sets and your entrepreneurial spirit and put it all together. And this was five years now of this successful law firm. I love yeah, it. I mean, making an impact and helping others, protecting and them. I, and, the, and I practice what I preach, right? And I think I relate better to my clients because I can tell them exactly my startup issues. Mm. I mean, I kind of joke around with my clients a little bit. It's like, when do I get my office plants? I mean, those are the kind of silly things I was thinking about at that time, if that makes any sense, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even though I'm their lawyer, I'm like, I still have startup issues, right? Like, mm-hmm. what what kind of printers are you supposed to buy <laughs> for the office? <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's one thing that lawyers are great at talking a lot of game. 
especially big law firm lawyers, um, helping clients and their startup. But do they really relate? I mean, they're already not, they're nice cush jobs already. And I used to be one of those type of lawyers, but here I am like literally helping startups while I'm also debating on, well, maybe I really don't need that conference table just yet, you know, because my capital right. cost, I'm trying to like pay my way through all this. And uh, the same decisions that they're making on like expenditures, on like R&D, on intellectual property, on legal, um, is the same type of stuff that I had to worry about. So I related better to those clients initially, I think, and I think they appreciated that. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So, so hey, we're at the end of the interview. I want to get to these quick hitter questions uh, for fun for people to get to know you a little bit better. But before we do, just want to find out if there's anything additional you wanted to add. Yeah, I mean, just the one thing. Folks need to understand lawyers. We're not bad folks. Think of your lawyer as your doctor. The sooner you can get to a good, competent attorney when you have legal questions and don't see us more as your, your utility provider, like a necessary evil the better chances you have to be protected, especially if you're innovating, right? Because um, that's kind of your critical, your first asset is what's in your brain. It's not your product or anything like that. It's the idea. If you don't have the wherewithal to actually protect that idea and get good, competent counsel early on, all the hard work you do for the subsequent years after that will usually, you'll be very problematic and get very costly. And that's literally the, the fact pattern I would see for years. So just... When in doubt, pick up the phone and try to find a lawyer. I know it's cost is always an issue, but in the long run, it, it's probably a lot worth it. So I just want to leave it with that. Yeah, no, that's great advice. I listen to a lot of business people and company owners, and the number one thing they say is you need to get a good lawyer. Number one out of everything else is you need to get a good lawyer. So, no, great advice. All right. So these quick hitter questions. Let's do it. Okay. Number one, what's your favorite sports team? Denver Broncos. All right. Knew that. What's your favorite movie or show? Uh, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Yeah. Classic. Favorite musical artist or group? Uh, definitely Eminem. Ah. One of the best ever. Favorite vacation spot? Uh, somewhere on the beach. <laughs> and favorite food or drink? Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> All right, Kumar, man. Thanks a lot. It's been fun. And uh, I actually learned a lot, too. I appreciate it. And thanks for everything you do. And thanks for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, I, Is appreciate there... I appreciate it, brother. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see whenever the, uh, the Longhorns and the Aggies play again. So Yeah, yeah, that would be great. We need to go. Now, is there any way that anyone can get in touch with you? LinkedIn? Yeah, I, yeah all, all that stuff is on my website. The easiest is you can go to Janik. My law firm is Janik Benicota LLP, and the law firm is jvllp.com. And all the information you need about my firm and all our site information, our social media stuff is all there. So Great. Thanks. And then, and then your firm, is it you – know, you have other partners there too, just to make sure. Is it all IP? No, no, we, we, we specialize in all commercial litigation. A, just so people, I guess I should have, should have clarified this, IP is a type of commercial litigation. So when people think of commercial litigation, they think of breach of contract, partnership disputes, you know, insurance matters. A type of it is intellectual property also. And if anything that affects a business is commercial litigation, right, if you're going to court. And so we're specialists in pretty much any commercial litigation 
we I guess we're hyper specialists in the IP side of things. But as I said, a lot of our business is there's a lot of tag along breach contract claims that are tied with like patent infringement because someone you know, there's always a contract involved too. So right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Say the law firm name one more time. Yeah, it's Janik Vinicota LLP, and the website is jvllp.com. All right. Thanks a lot, Kumar. All right. Thanks, RJ. All right. Bye. bye. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.